Welcome to the O'Reilly Design Podcast. I'm your host, Mary Trussler. This week, I sit down with Travis Loudermilk and Jessica Rich. We talk about the makeup of a healthy team, the importance of sense making, and design and user research at Microsoft. Enjoy the show. Travis and Jessica, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having us. Very excited to be here. Thanks for inviting us, Mary. So I'd like for you to both start off with telling uh, folks that are listening a little bit about your career path to date um, and what it is you do now. Travis, if you could start off. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I was hired at Microsoft as a UX designer. And as many designers I've spoken to, and certainly the ones that I've heard on your show, I straddle the lines between uh, design and research. So my educational background uh, is in HCI. uh, So I have an opportunity to do both research and design. And so uh, for me, uh, I love design that responds to customer behavior and feedback. You know, I totally dig the psychology uh, behind it all, you know, designing things um, that are in response uh, of learning from customers and about their behavior. So uh, fortunately for me, I found myself in the best possible uh, spot at Microsoft. Uh, I work on a team of UX researchers. So I'm the only designer on a team of researchers. So I'm surrounded by all these brilliant uh, PhDs who have chosen to use their powers for good instead of evil, which is great for us. <laughs> and uh, I've just gained an absolute, like just a lifetime of experience in the uh, four years that I've been uh, with this team. So I'm, I'm really uh, grateful to have found my place here. Awesome. And what about you, Jessica? Well, my background is in applied experimental human factors. And I started my career uh, working in the military domain, looking at um, and developing stress frameworks. Um, so basically looking at the effects of stress on human performance. And then a little over a decade ago, I came over and started doing software, um, working in the software field. So um, I worked for two major companies, Symantec and Microsoft. Uh, Symantec is now known as Veritas. And I work on uh, mobile development right now. Cool. Very cool. It's so interesting to hear, Travis, that you are embedded in research. You often hear researchers, well, not often, but it's becoming more common, researchers embedded in the design team. Microsoft, um, you know, design works pretty closely uh, with research. Um, I wouldn't say that every team at Microsoft does that, but it's unique, uh, certainly to DevDiv. We work on a developer tooling. So if you're familiar with Visual Studio or those types of products, Azure, um, and that's, that's kind of our focus. So it's, it's a really cool opportunity to, you know, study developers uh, and also work with our internal developers. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like developers looking at themselves in a, in, in a kind of a weird sense. But yeah, I'm, I'm extremely fortunate. Um, I've talked to, you know, some of my peer designers and stuff. And, you know, you definitely see from a design perspective, a, a greater desire to be involved in the research that's being collected. Um, so I have a kind of a unique position to be able to apply design thinking to, you know, what we're learning uh, from customer behavior. So it's, it's a great spot. I'm very happy. Cool. So you wrote this awesome book, the two of you, The Customer Driven Playbook. Um, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about, Travis, maybe you could start with why you decided to write it in the first place. Uh, we decided to write this because we hate ourselves and uh, <laughs> we like to take on projects that are insane. No, uh, we are extremely, extremely excited about this topic. Um, we've been working on this for, uh, gosh, I think ever since we started working at Microsoft. And, you know, over the past few years, Microsoft has really reemphasized its mission to uh, connect and learn from customers. So, uh, we're seeing a sort of renaissance period at the company where there's this kind of recommitment to being customer obsessed and and that's all been reignited. So it's really, really exciting. So a lot of our teams have shifted, you know, uh, to truly understanding how we can 
empower every organization and person to achieve more. Um, uh, and so, you know, obviously with the likes of, of all of these lean methodologies, you know, for a big company like Microsoft, it's important to uh, be responsive and agile. And so we're seeing a lot of teams uh, take legendary products like Visual Studio that have been in market for a long time and try to move more quickly in response. So uh, books like Lean UX from Jeff Gothelf, uh, Lean Customer Development from Cindy Alvarez has been, uh, you know, those methodologies um, uh, have been instrumental in, in inspiring our teams to, to, to move more quickly. But uh, what we did identify is that teams were, you know, motivated to, to employ these lean uh, methodologies to talk with customers, but they were struggling to take all of these lean approaches and drive them from end to end. And so what we identified um, was that there needed to be a framework to help folks uh, go from customer to product development. So for example, we'd have a team doing absolutely stellar job talking with customers, but they were having difficulty making sense of what they were learning, right? They're having all these conversations, but they couldn't step back and broadly understand, okay, what is it that we're, we're learning from customers? And, and additionally, maybe they uh, talked to a bunch of customers and uncovered a unique problem that we were positioned uh, to, de- you know, to, to address, uh, but they were struggling with trying to figure out, okay, well, how do we respond to it in an effective way? So uh, with the help of our insanely, wickedly talented partner, Dr. Monty Hammondtree, we began to build a framework and a collection of activities to essentially operationalize lean, right? And, and to help folks, you know, through a step-by-step stage process, move from customer uh, to product development. It was really critical that we did it in such a way that was practical and accessible. It wasn't, you know, uh, all this theory-driven uh, development, but really, you know, practical, like how-to guides um, to start employing lean practices within the teams. That's awesome. That's awesome. So Jessica, tell me what um, what should readers expect to learn from the book? Well, the playbook is for anyone involved in product development. It's not specific to researchers or designers. Product managers, senior leadership, and engineering can use this book and get something out of it. It's great for beginners that are just getting started with customer development. The book provides lots of templates, tips and tricks, and step-by-step guides to get them to talk to customers quickly. We also have customer development and design thinking activities, as well as industry success stories, um, which will appeal to even the most seasoned practitioner. The book is divided into two sections, the narrative and the mini playbooks. And so, uh, as Travis mentioned, the narrative goes into great detail about the hypothesis progression framework. Uh, We developed this framework, which is the foundation of our book and um, our approach. We developed the framework um, to help teams transition from from customer to product development Um, Because we were seeing big struggles with collecting lots of data, but not necessarily knowing how to respond to it. So the framework helps them transition between customer and product development. And it's broken down into four very simple stages, which is customer, problem, concept, and feature. And during those customer development stages, they'll identify who their target customer is, what problems they're experiencing, or areas of opportunities. And then in the product development stages, they'll look for solutions to solve those problems or come up with ideas to uh, look for new areas of opportunity and develop products that customers will love. And we align our mini playbooks. So uh, the narrative and the mini playbooks make up our book. The mini playbooks align with each of the stages, customer problem, concept, and feature. And those are the, uh, the step-by-step guides to help teams get started. So um, we want them to be able to take our book and start quickly taking action and using the lean methodologies to put them into practice quickly. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, teams that we've worked with, we'll show them like the framework, the four stage framework, essentially. And they'll, they'll say, you know, that makes sense. Right. Like uh, I get that 
why you've broken it up to say, hey, let's focus on customers here. Let's focus on the problems that they're having. Um, conceptually, let's come up with some ideas that um, will effectively try to solve the problem in the right way. And then let's refine uh, the features so that we actually deliver or execute on our conceptual idea, right? And so even the, the framework uh, in and of itself is kind of a roadmap for folks that teams kind of align to and they go, okay, we're in the feature stage right now. We're trying to, you know, just being able to have that insight to understand what area of your product or customer development that you're in uh, can be pretty instrumental in rallying and organizing the team uh, towards a common goal, right? That's awesome. Well, it sounds like you've, um, you've really given them all that they need, right? Besides doing it for them. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing, you know, um, we support uh, quite a big team, right? And so a lot of this was an ask uh, from our directors to say, listen, you know, when you guys work with these teams, they're able to kind of uh, organize on a common goal, they, they get unblocked. So how can we operationalize this? How can we take what you guys do uh, from a UX perspective and uh, put it in a handbook of sorts, uh, or what we eventually called the playbook, um, so that folks can you know start employing these activities uh, on their own. Now, what we're what we are finding outside of Microsoft when we talk to our peer uh, professionals is that you know uh, even peer professionals need this sort of playbook as well, right? Um, they need a way to kind of organize their teams um, and identify what stage uh, of the life cycle, product life cycle that they're in, regardless of whether you're doing software development or you're building physical products for healthcare or or government or whatever, like um, these things hold true. Uh, these stages hold true. You have to understand uh, what customer you're targeting. You have to understand what unique problem you're trying to solve. Uh, you have to have confidence that you're solving it the right way. Um, and ultimately, you have to execute uh, and deliver a product that meets uh, the goals that you set out to do. Um, so uh, regardless of what project uh, product you're working on, uh, those things tend to hold true across vertical. Absolutely. And so let's talk about um, some of the challenges. Travis, what have been some of the challenges that you've seen in, in scaling lean in a large organization? Because as you said, you know, people will say this makes perfect sense, but then, you know, execution. <laughs> exactly right. So I think we're both uh, very fortunate um, to have joined the company, like I was saying earlier, kind of in this renaissance. Um, and frankly, the industry. I mean, this isn't something that's unique to Microsoft. You see this with other companies as well, that folks are, are getting hit to the idea that in order to you know, make great products, you've got to listen to your customers and you've got to do it in a, uh, a procedural way. You can't just you know, uh, comb the, the feedback forms and come up with ideas. Like There has to be a process. So um, uh, so we have the the desire to be lean and agile, but I think uh, what's unique to Microsoft and other big companies is we also have this kind of unique responsibility, right? So um, it's great to want to be startupy and 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 embody those um, you know fail fast type philosophies, which they're good. I'm not uh, I'm not saying that they're not, but we also have to make sure that we keep our customers' uh, best interests in mind, right? So it's a hard idea, ideology to swallow when, you know, uh, this company is responsible for software that spans uh, countries and cultures. And uh, we have, you know, software products that uh, militaries, you know, rely on. We have uh, software that helps first responders, you know, respond in, in, in a disaster situation. So the gravity uh, of what we work on can't always be a fail fast model, right? Um, now, that being said, you know, the challenge for us Jessica and I and anybody that's in UX uh, at Microsoft and frankly, any other companies to find ways to help them operate in a way that that aligns with the responsibility that we have, uh, but still allows them 
to respond quickly and, and quite frankly, uh, to not lose the customer's voice along the way. I mean, this is a big company, right? And we have big divisions and, and we're trying to do things as one Microsoft across the company um, that involve everything from Windows to Office to Skype, you know, moving in a concerted effort. Um, but then there's things our individual teams are trying to do, right? And so it can be easy to lose the customer's voice and all that. And so um, that's why we have like whole dedicated sections um, to an activity we call sense making. Well, we don't call it that. That's what it's called. It's the idea that you need to periodically step back from your work and look at the bigger picture, right? To identify those patterns. Um, and that's something that's really resonated here at Microsoft. Again, having that strong muscle of, you know, getting in contact with customers, developing insider programs. We have a huge insider program with the Windows product um, where we have, you know, hundreds of thousands of customers, millions actually, I think, of customers giving us you know, hourly feedback. Uh, but how do we step back from that and and make sense of, you know, what do we do with the data that we're collecting? So I, I think, you know, when it comes to scaling, yeah, you know, um, I think it's any it's no different than any big organization, right? You have a lot of people and you have a lot of ideas, right? And channeling that in a way that that services the customer. Right. It's a balancing act for sure. Right, right. Great. So, Jessica, um, in your teaching and training, this approach within Microsoft, were there any surprises for you um, from the feedback and reactions you were getting from the folks that you were training? Yeah, well, I think one of the biggest surprises that I've experienced um, training, especially this methodology, is the sheer excitement and eagerness for our teams to engage with our customers. So we thought we'd get initially a lot of pushback on, I don't want to talk to customers. That's not my job. And uh, we don't have to convince our teams anymore. Um, the how great it is and, and what, what kind of learnings they'll get from talking to customers. They're already on board. So it's a researcher's dream to work for an organization that's super customer obsessed. So our focus right now is just to train the teams on how to have a structured approach. And so we do a lot of activities around how to uh, write great hypotheses, uh, turning assumptions into hypotheses, and then which type of experiments are the best approach at which stage of their development. So we work with our teams to look at things like focus groups, interviews, surveys, using all different types of mixed methodologies to get customer feedback and how to more, uh, be more effective in communicating their findings. So uh, Travis talked a lot about sense making, but one of the big pieces of sense making is be, being able to tell a good story. So once you've made sense out of your data, then you want to give analogies and metaphors and use models to be able to communicate those findings effectively with your teams. A lot of times we were finding teams just wanted to show a big Excel spreadsheet and say, look at all the customer data I collected, <laughs> which it's, it's great. You know, it's like, great. You're, you know, it's, it's, it's the, the right attitude to have. Um, but taking the meaning out of that Excel spreadsheet and being able to communicate it with anybody, someone that's not even, you know, working on your product to be able to effectively tell the story about the customer and the problems they're having and how you plan to solve those uh, problems for the customer. Yeah. And as a designer, um, you know, that's, that's where, uh, a unique opportunity presents itself from a design perspective, right? Because uh, so much of, and I know uh, a lot of designers will take issue. <laughs> I've heard uh, some designers hate the the notion that you know design is storytelling, but I'm in the camp that thinks that it is, right? And and so helping uh, RPMs and our devs tell the story of what they're learning uh, has been um, critically important. That's kind of the new currency at Microsoft. It used to be, you know, uh, you come in and if you were the brilliant mind in the room and you had uh, the, the idea that may have not have been the best, but you could at least 
pitch it internally because it technically made sense or implementation wise, it was the easiest or the path of least resistance, or maybe even politically, it was the right move. And, you know, there's still some of that, just like any company. Um, But I think what we're seeing a shift in is uh, the folks that are starting to become more and more successful at this company are the folks that are really great customer advocates, right? That they really connect uh, with our customers and they tell a compelling story about them, right? And so it's interesting to see uh, leadership reviews kind of shift a little bit away from, well, how are we going to implement it? You know, what technology are we going to use? Of course, we have those conversations, but there's also this influx now of, well, tell me about the customers. W- what have we learned from them? Why is this important? Why should we fix this problem instead of this other problem? Why is this the right way to solve this problem? How, how confident are you? What What is the customer doing or telling you that makes you feel that this is the right move. And so uh, what, we're, what we're seeing in short order now is a shift. Yes, you got to be able to talk to customers. You got to have those conversations. You got to collect this data. Uh, but then, you know, PMs and engineers are coming back to us and saying, well, how do we craft a story that's compelling? Uh, and and what, what parts of the story do we tell? Um, and, and that sort of thing. So that's kind of an interesting uh, design challenge uh, uh, in some respects. It's not your typical you know, doing red lines, you know, UI design kind of thing. But uh, I found it to be incredibly rewarding. Mm. Well, it's such an interesting comment because the storytelling, it seems to me like that is the the universal skill that everyone is trying to to learn right now. You know, that one thing, it's one thing to have all this data or be speaking to customers, but if you can't make sense of it um, in a convincing way to your your counterparts, it's all lost. Well, I think it's interesting how the technology industry has shifted, right? Like, you know, it used to be about, you know, technical prowess. You you look at companies like Intel and IBM and it was all, you know, and and even Microsoft, um, you know, it was about like, what could you achieve from a technology perspective? Like who had the most bits and bytes and all this sort of thing, right? And, you know, with the advent of social networks and this sort of thing, you know, we're really focusing, I know from the design uh, discipline and certainly from the HCI discipline broadly, we're focusing on the human impact of all of this, right? And what moves uh, customers emotionally and, and psychologically, right? And all these things are becoming, I don't know, uh, maybe it's my own personal bias because I'm fascinated by this stuff. But I, th- I think largely the industry is shifting to really focus in on those things and a little bit less on uh, on the bits and bytes. I mean, that's always going to be important. I'm not suggesting that it's not. But, you know, when you look at like Facebook, for instance, and the ramifications of what's happening there on that social network, either politically or, or in sometimes in case of tragedies and things like that, like there's psychological uh, implications for that technology, right? And so um, you're seeing that in the boardrooms, right? Uh, you're seeing that leadership is, is starting to talk a little bit more about how the technology affects customers and, and it helps them achieve their goals. I think it's a, it's a great time, right, to, to be in UX uh, and design and research uh, because there is such a need for it. Mm, and as you alluded to earlier, I mean, there's great responsibility. Absolutely. Absolutely. All. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, it's time to get personal. <laughs> um, talk to well, me. I like long walks on the beach. <laughs> right. I, I enjoy a good book. Oh, gosh. Um, talk to me about what you think are some of your own um, personal attributes that have helped you in your careers to date or things that you maybe didn't didn't have and learned along the way, either way. Um, Jessica, if we could start with you. Well, I'm constantly challenging myself, pushing myself forward, trying to learn new things. 
um, and uh, pushing myself to do things to grow and often makes me feel super uncomfortable. Um, so I became a researcher so I could be behind the scenes and, you know, take public speaking, for example, or writing a book. These are things. Or being on really, a podcast. Right? <laughs> 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 it's exactly it. Um, so, you know, writing this book and being on a podcast and, you know, being front and center has made me, you know, really pushed pushed myself to get outside of my comfort zone. Um, but that's something that I challenge myself to do all the time. Um, learn something new, push outside of the, out of my comfort zone just to, to grow and learn. And this has been such a great experience. Um, but I think that that's an attribute that we all can learn from because kind of moving outside of what we're comfortable with. I mean, doing the day in and day out is great, but always looking for the next best thing, the opportunities that uh, lie before us. And there's plenty here at Microsoft. I mean, we've we have so many opportunities, not enough time. So <laughs> <laughs> that's a great place to be, isn't it? Yeah, I, I, I think for me, uh, you know, we're in a unique position here at Microsoft, um, you know, and frankly, the Seattle area. I get a lot of opportunities to talk to young people that come uh, to campus and I love giving the tours and all that sort of stuff. It's just fun. And, you know, obviously they ask me, you know, the, the, the proverbial, like, how did you get where, where you, <laughs> you got to it? Um, I think, you know, it really does boil down to, you know, I hate to say, okay, well, you got to be passionate about what you, you do and, you know, um, because everybody says that and, and they say it because it's true, right? Uh, but I think, you, you know, you have to be persistent. Um, you have to be willing to, to put in, in that extra effort. You got to want it, right? And so like, you know, I, I, I tell my, my boys, you know, uh, we have this kind of quirky family motto. It's like, you, you got to wor work hard and help others, right? And, and we kind of boiled it down to those kind of essential truths, right? You got to work hard and you got to be willing to help others. And I find that my best work comes and the things that I get excited about. And frankly, the things that um, have attributed to my success is when I align uh, what I'm passionate about, what I want to work on, but I've connected it to something that's going to make impact in somebody else's life. Um, so I'm, I'm taking my, you know, uh, I came to Microsoft and I thought I was going to, you know, be the traditional quote unquote designer, right? I was going to, you know, design the red lines and design UI. And, and, and that's all fun stuff. I, I love doing that. And it's, it's great. Um, but I also had this um, passion to um, connect our uh, dev and program management team um, to customers and, and really help them uh, generate and develop their customer empathy, um, something I'm insanely passionate about. So, you know, I was able to connect those dots um, with the help of great mentors and friends to connect those uh, skill sets and align them to something that was going to make impact. So, I, that's why we chose to work on this book, right? It's it's a passion to, you know, I think we have something that's really unique and special and, and we want to share it with others and, and, and help hopefully create impact for them. So I, I, there's no, I think, one single kind of thing. It boils down to some basic truths like working hard and, and being willing to, to help other people is, is kind of what it boils down to, I think. I love it. I love it. I'm stealing it. <laughs> work hard help others my well, boys like nauseated with that uh, you know every day like, what do you got to do Gotta work hard. <laughs> well and i also think to jessica's point pushing yourself i mean it's really it's um so uncomfortable right and you think at times why did i do this to myself um <laughs> <laughs> but then you realize boy that was that was fun it was hard but fun yeah yeah Typically, the hardest work ends up, you know, being most rewarding. Um, and, you know, like to, to Jessica's point, you know, when I talk to young people, um, you know, they, we've heard folks on your show talk about this and, and elsewhere, you know, this notion of imposter syndrome, feeling like, oh, I'm, you know, and, it, you know, it's, it's kind of cliche, but it's true. You fake it until you make it, right? You know, you go, okay, 
you know, I want to have more of a public persona. So I'm going to fake it till I make it. I'm going to, you know, try to do a podcast or write a blog post or whatever. And, and so there's a bit of that too, is being vulnerable and, and being persistent. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about what the product team makeup is like at Microsoft. And I imagine it's not any one set way, but um, Jessica, could you talk a little bit about what the makeup of teams are there um, or what what they might look like across the board? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Microsoft is a huge company and each organization works a little bit differently and has a different approach. Um, we're, we have the best approach. Right. <laughs> Just to clarify, in case, in case you are confused. <laughs> ITs, ITs. Uh, so Travis and I are in the cloud and enterprise um, and division and we work on Visual Studio. So um, our UX team is both, uh, as he mentioned, design and research. And we support and partner with our product teams, which is engineering and uh, product managers. The interesting thing about um, our group is that it doesn't matter what role in the organization you're in, that everyone is customer focused. So our entire team is involved in customer development. And um, we all use various different types of mixed methodologies. Um, We use things like A-B testing, analytics, surveys, focus group, the list goes on and on. Um, But the idea is that we want to learn as much as we can from our customers and make products that suit their needs. And um, what we do is we share our results with everyone in our organization. So if a particular team is going out and having conversations with a certain type of target customers, they're sharing it with our entire organization so that we can all have a shared understanding of our customer. And the idea is that, you know, we've kind of framed this as we're raising our organization's IQ about our customer, customer IQ. And so that everybody's learning from these experiences and so that we can build on on the learnings that we have from all of our customer engagements, whether it's uh, qualitative or quantitative. It used to be you, you go into a meeting and we'd spend hours arguing about who understood the customer better and you'd, you'd, you'd stand back and go, listen, you knuckleheads, no one here has talked to a customer, right? <laughs> like this is all just, you know, kind of uh, you, our opinions, right, of, of what we think the customer is. And so now, I mean, that's just so radically changed. There are people that come into the meeting and they have a great story to tell and they can actually connect you to a real face, a real breathing person at a company and say, hey, we spent some time with these folks and here's what we learned. It just continues to to pay dividends. That's awesome. So let's talk about that a little bit more. Um, Travis, can you talk a little bit about what the attributes are of like when you look at a healthy, effective product team? Um, what are some of the ingredients? Yeah. So maybe if I come at it from a standpoint of like the teams that I like to work on, right? The the ones that I gravitate towards. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the the teams that I I enjoy working with are folks you know, have the basics, you know, mutual respect in, uh, for each other, right? Of course. But they also have a desire for learning, right? They're able, uh, kind of like Jessica was saying, is that, you know, they kind of, to a certain extent, check their ego and their and their role at the door, you know, like, and, and they basically say, you know, they're hungry to learn more, not just, you know, from the outside world, but, you know, from each other, right? Um, that, I'm, I'm a designer that works with a bunch of researchers, but, you know, the researchers don't make me feel like, oh, well, you're just the designer. You, you can't do the research work, you know, that kind of thing. There's, there's no element of that, right? And I think that's critically important that we can go beyond our roles and say, yeah, you know, I'm a PM, but, you know, I want to do some research and I want to try this hat on and I want to talk to customers and, and, and do it in a, in a procedural way, right? Or I'm a dev and I want to step outside and, and try a, a design thinking activity and explore some ideas. So I think the best teams are the ones that are able to kind of do that effectively and also that they're willing to uh, build off each other's ideas and, and, and ideas and share knowledge with one another. So and that's not always easy, you know, at a company uh, like Microsoft or any other, you know, company uh, where 
you know, especially in a large organization, it, it pays to be, you know, to kind of stand out and be recognized as an individual. We're getting better at that, by the way, but it's still, you know, something that each company uh, struggles with. But, you know, I think, you know, to be a member of a great team, you, you got to want to, you know, serve or be, be a, an assist, you know, to, to assist the team. Uh, and help others succeed, right? So the best teams kind of understand that, that yes, we all have our personal ambitions and our own individual goals, um, but the the team as a cohesive unit is going to work better if we're all willing to kind of assist and share uh, what we're learning, also be willing to learn from others. I mean, I learn uh, from a design perspective, you know, I'm open and receptive to learn something that I can add to my quote unquote design toolbox from a PM or an engineer, right? Like that, that happens because I'm open and receptive to it, right? Absolutely. And it's sort of back to your earlier motto of uh, work hard, help others. Right? <laughs> sticky, I told you. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's the third book. Huh? Maybe uh, work hard, help others. <laughs> right. And uh, well, I think we need T-shirts. Yeah. Um, great. Well, so let's um, one final question for both of you. Uh, beyond beyond what you're working on day to day, are there people or projects that have um that grab your attention that you think are people that are doing interesting work or projects that you want to learn more about? Um, Travis, if I could start with you. Uh, so it's hard to determine what's beyond beyond work. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and I joke about that, but there is a sincerity of truth. You know, there's a lot of times I come into work every day and and I know it's going to sound people going, Ugh, okay, but it really like it doesn't feel like work. <laughs> You know, and it's I have several pinch me moments where I'm like, wow, they're actually going to pay me a wage to do this. But but uh, yeah, I mean, things that I'm interested in, in terms of the industry, uh, obviously, along with other designers, um, really interested in the effects of like VR, AR, where that's all, you know, shaping um, in terms of uh, how the technology is shifting beyond uh, the screen uh, is interesting. But, you know, honestly, uh, the, the book <laughs> has been the biggest project. Uh, and Jess and I have absolutely poured ourselves uh, into this book. And, and like we said, it was an ambitious project, but we're definitely excited to see it in people's hands. And, and the early review peer reviews have been largely positive. And I, I'm absolutely confident that we've got something here that folks will enjoy and be able to put to use. So I think uh, that's the project I'm really interested in. <laughs> the moment. Awesome. Awesome. And what about you, Jessica? Well, our next steps are to get working on our companion website. So um, our book- What? We have a, <laughs> I haven't done that yet. Hold on a second. Wait, let me change my answer. <laughs> so we couldn't cram everything we wanted to do or wanted to tell our readers into the book. So we have a companion website that we're setting up that will also have additional templates, guidelines, and experimental methodology, step-by-step guides. So we want to get that up and running quickly um, so it's in alignment with our book release. And then we also have an O'Reilly three-hour online course in June that will be... What? (laughs) (laughs) I thought you said this was outside of work. Yeah. And so we'll be guiding teams through the end to end experience from formulating assumptions um, all the way to the uh, making sense out of their data. So that'll be a three hour course that Travis and I will be prepping for um, over the next month. Yeah, I think we're excited about the community that we're going to generate. We've we've had touches on this. We've gone to other conferences and other workshops and we've talked to folks about what we've been trying to do. And just in general, there's a lot of excitement and desire to say, hey, can you come to our company and talk to us about it? So that's been exciting and certainly validating. Um, But I think where we're most excited is to see this thing, um, not only continue to grow at Microsoft like it's doing, but um, see what it's going to do outside of Microsoft. And uh, I think the website and the course um, will give folks uh, in the O'Reilly community, but uh, even outside of the O'Reilly community, hopefully uh, a chance to kind of join this journey uh, with us and see, you know, 
uh, what the framework can do for them and what they add to it and expand on uh, is really, really exciting for us. Well, I'm excited for it all, too. So, well, thank you both, uh, Travis and Jessica, for joining me today. Really enjoyed this. Yeah, it's a great pleasure. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having us, Mary. Thank you for listening. You can reach Jessica at Jessica Rich PhD and Travis at T Loudermilk on Twitter. You can subscribe to the O'Reilly Design Podcast through iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, or SoundCloud. And be sure to leave a review while you're there.